This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I'm talking to you from Vox Media headquarters in New York City. This is a bonus episode. Not only is it a bonus episode, I've got two cool interviews coming to you for free. You're welcome. First, I'm going to talk to Joe Adalian, one of my favorite people to read about the business of TV. He's the West Coast editor at New York Magazine's Vulture. Uh, I think TV Mojo is a Twitter. He's great. Definitely follow him if you are not following him already. We talked about Disney+. Plus. Uh, he went to the big unveil last week. He was there in Burbank. I had to stream it from Brooklyn. So we talked about what it was like to be there. Stormtroopers are involved. What his, uh, what his thoughts are about Disney+. Plus. We talked about Apple. He's, I think, I think more positive about Apple in their presentation than other folks were. So we talked about the business of TV. And then, if you like hearing about the business of TV, you are in luck because the next interview is with Josh Sapan, who runs AMC Networks. He's the CEO there. Smart guy, interesting guy, makes a lot of shows that I like. Um, one show I don't like, but everyone else likes. That's uh, The Walking Dead. Uh, so he's bringing you Killing Eve. He brought you Mad Men, Breaking Bad, all the good stuff. And is pretty undersized sort of in, in today's media landscape compared to Disney Fox, AT&T, Apple, Amazon. Uh, so we talked about what it's like to make TV at a company that's known for making great TV, but is, is sort of having to sort of figure out a path among the giants. So enough preamble. First, we're going to talk to Joe Adalian from New York Magazine. It's coming up right now. Hey, Joe, how are you? Hey, Peter. We have never talked before, only only internet and Twitter. So this is cool. Thank you. I want to ask you about the Disney Plus event, which I streamed in Brooklyn and you actually attended in Burbank. Mm-hmm. And I want to get your impression. I've read about your impressions, but I want to know, first of all, what was, what was it like to go to this thing and see it live? Because streaming... Streaming had some had some minuses, and you know, the major one was that I couldn't see the shows they were promoting. Sure, um, you know it was it was very Disney. Uh, you know there were stormtroopers uh, waiting outside as you get, came into the building. Uh, it wasn't maximal Disney. It was just sort of sort of modest investor level Disney. Sort of just enough of a touch to make it seem the Disney, but still very much an investor conference uh, with you know lots of analysts sitting at desks and their computers and journalists as well. But it was three, it was, three plus hours. It was a marathon. It was like a Politburo session. I expected you know some. Soviet laws to get passed, but um, it, it was good. It was a good or like as long as an Avengers movie. Actually, I think that's the new Avengers <laughs> exactly. movie. It's three with, hours and with, two minutes with an intermission. By the way, so there should be an intermission for that movie as well. Um, you know, it, it was it was it was a very Disney, very well done event. Uh, the first half was sort of uh, the less quote-unquote exciting things, although I think there's a lot of potential there to come, sort of a sneak preview, sort of with Hulu. Um, there was a, as you saw, there was a good session there, uh, a good uh, ex- part of the presentation was about Hulu. Um, Hotstar, which is maybe their underrated new acquisition from 20th, um, and then it was right, right into Disney+, Plus, and they sort of laid out exactly what they're going to be doing. Um, the, the trailers look good. You know, if, for all the guff that Apple took, probably rightly so, uh, for not offering much footage at all during their presentation. It's not like Disney offered that much more. There were no actual trailers. There were just sort of behind-the-scenes featurettes. The Maladorian had maybe uh, it had maybe about 30 seconds of footage uh, from the beginning, which was very exciting um, and certainly, certainly sent the spines a-tingling of any Star Wars fans. Um, so, you know, you knew it was real, but it wasn't an actual cut-down. They're still we, waiting to so deliver could that. Could we just... Uh, I just want to supply some context. So if you were streaming it like I was, and they, 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 they would tell you in advance, look, we're gonna, some of the stuff we're going to be showing the crowd in, live in Burbank, we can't show you at home because of rights issues, which I sort of get after covering this stuff for a long time, but I actually 
don't really get since this was new stuff they should have all the rights to. Yeah, um, so I didn't get it either. So periodically would cut, they, they, would, they would say, here you go, we're going to show it to you, and then it would cut to a blank screen, and then you, they would play mm-hmm. usually Queen. Um, and you guys were watching what I thought was a trailer, and now you're telling me it wasn't a trailer, it was, it was a featurette, a mini featurette. With trailer-like aspects. You know, the Maladorian had a little bit of co-footage. Some of the movie stuff that they had for the Christmas movie had, you know, there were snippets, so there, there, there was some footage. You knew that these were actual productions, but it was not a, a, night, a nice type. Uh, 230 presentation. I, I think that makes sense. And the same reason I thought it made sense for Apple not to give too much away. Uh, they're still months and months, almost six months away from launching this service. So why, why invite people to sort of start taking down these productions now? You know, we, this happens for the networks all the time when they, you know, sort of have to show their, these trailers because they're selling advertising. You know, there's no reason to, to, to let this out now. They, they're going to have carefully crafted marketing launches for all these shows. So we'll just have to wait. Well, let's let's come look, let's come back to that in a minute or two. Of the stuff you saw that is going to be exclusive to Disney Plus, right? Because the idea of Disney Plus is there's a huge back catalog of of Disney movies. They're all going to be there. Everything that's coming out in theaters, basically starting with Captain Marvel going forward, is going to be there after whatever window. Um, and then there's going to be stuff that you can only see on Disney Plus. So of that stuff that they showed or teased, what was most interesting to you as someone who writes about TV all the time? I mean, I, I think um, the well, the Jeff Goldblum show, uh, which is sort of what would I forget exactly the title of it, but it's sort of just his sort of weird take on things. Is one Jeff that I Goldblum might, being weird? Yeah, exactly. That was something I might personally watch. I, I think the Melodorian, the, the one from John Favreau, it's the first live action scripted. Uh, That's Disney, the Star Wars spinoff, right? Uh, take on Star Wars. Uh, you know, after many false starts, there's finally going to be a Star Wars live action show, and it looks like it could be really interesting. It looks like it could be epic. It looks like it could be sort of dramatic. It also could be very campy and silly like Star Wars often can too. Uh, the one impression I had here is that they're not playing anywhere in the same sort of ballpark as as Netflix or Apple or Hulu or any of those services that really go for sort of premium adult programming. This is about um, prestige family shows. This is about or prestige, prestige PG rated stuff. This is all content that sort of digs very much into fans uh, and fandoms, um, and if you're certainly a Marvel fan, which I'm not necessarily a, a hardcore one, I think you'll probably be excited about having yet another Marvel show. Um, but you know, in the same way that I, the, the Marvel shows didn't exactly move the needle all that much for Netflix, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to do all that for Disney, other than get the really good fans of those those sort of bases in. You know, there are a lot of fans of Star Wars, of Marvel, of Disney Channel shows, so there there are plenty of fan bases they can cater to. Um, nothing specifically. Wow, me! The Christmas movie looks cute. Yeah. So you watched you watched this a few days ago. Uh, you've had time to think about it. Seven bucks a month. Do you think this is a movie service? Uh, is it a TV service? Is it really a hybrid? I mean, what do you what What do you think most people are going to pay seven bucks for? I think anybody who has kids is going to want to have this service. Uh, kids who are into anything Disney does, um, you know, and that's a lot of people. Uh, I think anyone who is a uh, who watches a lot of the Star Wars Marvel movies as they come out um, is going to want to have this because this is the t- this is how you can easily stream a lot of these movies and and get sort of original content geared to that. Um, if someone is looking to cord cut and only have a couple of services and isn't a particularly big f- super fan of these of of those brands that Disney has, it's probably not essential. But I think that the you know I think what sixty to ninety million is what they're projecting in five years. I think that's yep. absolutely doable, especially globally. I mean, there's just, you know, you look at how much money these movies make. Um, there are a lot of fans, um, and I think it's a, it's a good add-on for right now. And and it'll be very curious to see, you know, they teased it but didn't actually reveal uh, what sort of the bundle pricing will be. But I think that they can combine this with Hulu, sort of a supercharged John Landgraf added to Hulu, um, and really have a really good, good sort of combination of service and get to that $15, $16 price point uh, that would be much more like a cable bundle. What's well, also 15, 16 ish bucks? I guess it's, I think the, what's, what's the net, what's the standard Netflix now? 12 bucks, 13 it's bucks? 13 I bucks, I think, for the H. Yeah. 13 bucks yeah. is the, with, with, the, with the, new, the new price hike. And so you, you wrote a piece, you said this is not a Netflix killer. Uh, the Disney thing is not, Disney Plus is not a Netflix killer. It's not supposed to be. You want to you tease that out for people who didn't read your story, which they should. It's, you know, it's, it's like I said, by itself, it's not a Netflix killer because it doesn't have the same broad offerings. It doesn't have the same sort 
sort of Walmart Supercenter, you know, premise of, you know, you could sit here and watch Netflix for days and find something, you know, like everyone. You're going to find something. something. Right. We're, we're going to give it to you like, you know, like network TV used to be and, and or, or a cable subscription, which is more what Netflix tries to do now. Um, but, you know, they do own Hulu and they're going to want to keep, you know, keep Hulu thriving and growing because that's another way to sort of charge more money. Uh, and I think Hulu can sort of, well, it also is probably never going to come anywhere near the levels of Netflix content in terms of the shared tonnage. Uh, you know, they already have a pretty good service that's getting better, uh, even before Disney arrived. Now you're going to have Disney's marketing team come on board. You're going to have John Landgraf, who runs FX Networks, possibly yeah. putting some of his projects and, and his brain power into Hulu. We'll see how that actually shakes out. And suddenly you've got sort of an adult offering and sort of a, a bigger thing that, that, you know, ties into the whole Disney cradle to grave strategy. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, you know, if you're a young person or a, a teenager or a, a young adult and under 35, you're going to want Disney Plus for sure. Um, if you're a sports fan, you can subscribe to ESPN Plus. And if for everyone else, there's also Hulu. Um, and put them together and you've got a lot of great content. And uh, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, I use Netflix killer in the headline, but that's just sloppy shorthand uh, <laughs> slash clickbaity writing. And, and I, I think people are going to have multiple services. Uh, that said, people, you know, $7 is $7. And, and I talk about this all the time. People are willing to save $4 by not paying for the ad-free Hulu, which seems insane to me. Um, so people are going to make choices between buying this and something else. And then Disney certainly thinks of itself as a Netflix rival. That's why they, they're pulling all their stuff off of, of Netflix and giving up hundreds of millions of dollars a year uh, in licensing fees. And I, I was looking at it this weekend. I was looking around for my kids. And they bought a ton of kid stuff and a ton of new kid stuff. And there is a ton of Disney stuff right there. And I was mm-hmm. imagining sort of what those tiles are going to look like blacked out. Of course, they won't be blacked out. But the, you, you will feel this in a year or so when that Disney stuff is all gone from Netflix. Right. And, and the question is, you know, they, kids was a big part of the early Netflix strategy. That They were the early adopters. They were the people that, you know, Netflix knew that they could expand their base by making sure that kids had something to watch. Um, is there enough? I don't know. I, you know, I think Disney's not the only brand. Nickelodeon thrived forever um, and still thrives. Okay, enough. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, this could also increase churn rates for, for some of these services. I mean, it's very easy to switch back and forth. Hulu likes to make a big deal out of how simple it is to switch between between Hulu with commercials, Hulu without commercials, Hulu with live TV, if you want to watch a sporting event. Well, you know, if yeah. people could come in and out of Disney Plus, uh, if they don't want to pay, I think it's interesting that Disney has that, that yearly fee because I think they do want to get people to sort of just go all in for a year because they're not going to have the same level of refreshed content that Netflix has. Um, but, you know, people could come in out when there's a new Marvel movie that comes on the service or if they want to binge a few things, if the new Marvel show comes out. Um, they didn't say, interestingly enough, what their release strategy is going to be for series, whether it's going to be uh, new right. episodes every week or binge model. I'll bet you ten to one that it's going to be weekly model. I could have sworn they said the first. I can't remember what they were talking about. It was a Mandalorian. Is it Mandalorian or Mandalorian? I have no idea. To be honest. <laughs> All right, the Star Wars. The, one of them they said it's sort of in passing that you know the first few episodes will be available at launch, which made me think they're going to have a couple ready. Which could be the Hulu model too, which is you know they often will premiere right. shows with two or three episodes and then weekly. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would, and I said this in the story. I mean, I do think. Uh, the, the pressure here is actually going to be on the... Disney's in a weird place because this definitely is something that, that can conceivably make it easier to cut the cord. It won't replace TV you're viewing, but if it supplies a lot of stuff, if you don't care that much about what you're watching or you just want to get something for your kids, here's seven bucks a month and you're sort of well on your way to filling that. Um, Disney very much wants the cable bundle to stay intact for a long time. That's the key to their, their network business. That's the key to ESPN. Um, so they kind of want it both ways. Uh, speaking of bundles, uh, you mentioned this before, you, you were more sympathetic to the Apple event, which you streamed and I went to live, uh, than a lot of other folks. Uh, and your argument you were just making just now is, hey, just chill out. It's, it's fine. They don't have to show you the Steven Spielberg show and the Jennifer Aniston show yet. They should, can show it to you in the fall when you decide whether or not you want to buy the service or, or consume the service. Right. I, is I that think a fair summary? It's a fair summary. I mean, look, I have, uh, you know, the people who are running the programming there, um, Zach Van Ammerk and Jamie Ehrlich are talented guys. And I think if you look mm-hmm. at the collection of star power they have and creators behind the scenes, there are some really interesting shows potentially. Um, and um, it could be a good offer. Now, again, from a point of view of hype and everything, that, you know, they haven't really given a good sense yet, as we know, of, of exactly how it's going to work. And I think that in terms of judging whether it can be successful, you're right. There, There is sort of this 
nagging sense of, well, what are they waiting for? Um, you know, maybe they wanted to see what Disney did and, and what their price point could be. Um, you know, how they plan to bundle and sell sort of, you know, they're going to be bundling their service with HBO and other uh, premium services, Showtime. Well, do they want to sort of, you know, really undercut the price and sort of sell those at a discount so that they get people to sort of subscribe to those premium services through Apple and then sort of get their premium, you know, shows as sort of an add-on content at a, at a really, you know, not essentially not yeah. a, not an added too high of an added cost. So um, I think it's got to be free or, or or next to nothing because again they're going to have a couple shows a month. I mean, this whole point of this Disney rollout is look at all the stuff we have. Look at the decades of stuff mm-hmm. that we've made that you love and your kids love, plus the new stuff coming out. We're just going to have thousands of hours of stuff, and Apple's going to have a couple shows a month. Right. Um, if you get it with a subscription to HBO Showtime and this, and yep. suddenly it's you know. 20 bucks, then that's, you know, yeah. Right. If they throw it in for free, I think that's the way to do it. We'll, we'll see. Um, what you talked, one of the reasons I love reading your stuff is that you are talking to the people who are making TV all the time, the showrunners, the talent, the actual production houses. What is your sense of what they think Apple is up to? Do, do they seem to have some sort of clue at this point, or are they in the dark as the rest of us? They're a little bit in the dark. They 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 know that it's a place that's uh, committed to making good shows. You know, there was a little bit of there has been some drama in some of the printed print pieces about um, whether or not Apple is really trying to be family friendly and doesn't and is not going to have challenging shows. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think they want to do you know truly dark sort of Sopranos, Game of Thrones levels of sex and violence in their shows, uh, and pe- perhaps because it could be a relatively free service. But I don't think, um, you know, I think people think that it's another place to sell their shows. And they've got a big checkbook. They've got uh, executives that they know and respect. They've been working with for decades at Sony and, and other uh, and other studios and networks um, across the team. Um, and I think they're waiting to say, all right, well, let's, they, they've got, you know, as Oprah Winfrey now famously said, you know, 100 billion or whatever it is, yep. uh, devices in your pockets. They think, okay, this is a platform. They, you know, in, in, in Apple, we trust, you know. Sometimes Apple messes up. We've we've seen that before. This could be one of those examples, but it, I don't see any indication of it. Whenever I talk to an HBO, I just uh, had Josh Sapan, who runs uh, AMC. He's going to be on the, the segment after this, and ask them about competing with the Netflixes and Apples of the world. They all have a version that says, and I think Bob Greenblatt said something to the effect of this a little while ago. Netflix and Apple, they, they're just too much stuff. You can't find the stuff you want. You're, if, if you're a Chris Rock or whoever, your stuff gets lost. Uh, and this is to counter the fact that these guys have just basically unlimited funds or seemingly unlimited funds. Um, do you so that pitch that well maybe we've got less stuff maybe we can't write you the biggest check but we're going to take care of you we're going to promote you we're going to showcase your stuff properly in the way you're accustomed to do you think that pitch is resonant with with talent and and the people who work with talent or is that just something that someone says to a reporter like me um it's something they said all reporters and i think it's you do with the best with what you've got. I think it is an asset uh, to be at, for example, at HBO, which is in the process of making a lot more content, but still makes you know less of it than these other places, and still has a linear service, and they can promote episodic rollouts of things like Big Little Lies, and and so for some creators that's attractive. Mostly, it's whoever has the biggest check. That's almost always who wins. Um, and 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 you know, and then in cases where they don't care about money, it's who can do the best Emmy campaign. Um, and in that case, you know, if you have fewer um, shows to promote. And, and to sell to Emmys, that could be an advantage. And, and I think, you know, I think it's going to be, it'll all be based upon, uh, you know, individual talent and, and what their needs are at any time. Um, I think they're all good homes in some ways. There are plenty of people who are very, very happy at Netflix. I don't see any evidence that Shonda Rhimes or, 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 or Ryan Murphy is unhappy about going there. Um, some smaller producers, maybe, uh, but they're also getting the chance to make the shows they want exactly how they want to, so that's not a bad thing. Yeah, the the, the biggest check, I think, still wins in 2019. Joe, this is great to talk to you. I'm going to meet you in person someday. Um, instead of now, we've done Twitter. We'll do we've done phone. We'll do we'll do IRL at some point in the near future. I, look I will to let it. you go. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Uh, again, you can follow Joe on Twitter, which you should do at TV Mojo M O J O E. You'll be happy you did if you're not doing that already. We're going to take a quick break so we can hear from a fine sponsor who allows you to hear Recode Media for free. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. 
And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That person laughing, I'm just going to tell you now, is Josh Sapan. He is CEO of AMC Networks. I'm part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm here in New York City with Josh, who I've been looking forward to speaking to for a long time, in part because he's funny. Also because he runs a big TV network. Um, is that the right way to describe it, a TV network? Or do you want to call it something else at this point? Uh, TV conglomerate. Content company, TV networks, uh, anything you like is good. You have a really cool job because you get to bring people like me, shows like Breaking Bad, and Mad Men. Um, you bring a lot of people, The Walking Dead, uh, Killing Eve. Is, is, is running now as we, yes, as, as we speak. Um, I like McMafia. I think Ooh. I'm in a small group there. Uh, and then you do cool stuff on IFC and Sundance and all that. So that all sounds great. Um, you get paid a lot of money. You get to do cool stuff. But I, whenever I see you being interviewed or listen to you being interviewed, everyone's very concerned about your well-being. And the concern is, hey, Josh, how's it going? It's not. It seems like you're in trouble here. Um, your, your company's too small or there's a problem with TV and you, you seem pretty chill about it. So we'll, we'll talk about all those things. Sure, good, good. Yeah. Anyway, that's a long extended okay. welcome. Okay, good. Um, well, thank you for having me. Yeah. It's a real pleasure. I mean it. I appreciate Flattered. it. The last time we talked in public was mm-hmm. the fall of 2015. It was right after Bob Iger had done an earnings call and said, we lost a couple subs at ESPN this uh, last quarter, but it's, it's nothing to worry about. And then everyone freaked out and all the cable stocks tanked. Um, I think they've come back since then, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Yes, they definitely have. So yeah. this is kind of an extension of that conversation, okay. which was everyone was freaked out about the yeah. future of TV in 2015. Yes. And I think even more so now, except there's the landscape's changed. The tech guys have finally showed up yeah. or are about to show up. Yeah. Um, there's still a concern about cord cutting and audience and all of that. You're still here. Mm-hmm. You're still making cool TV. That's good. Yeah. yeah. What is your average day like? Oh, average day is... Uh, um, <clears throat> it's upfront season, so um, I'm going to an upfront event tonight. Uh, Where you're going to show off stuff that you want advertisers to buy. We will indeed, yeah, and we'll we'll spend some time with them, uh, which is not an average day, but it's an important day. We've been uh, we've been talking about upfronts on this show a bit um, because I went to what was basically the Apple upfront last year or yeah. last week, yeah, two weeks ago, but they didn't show the shows. Um, but we've been referencing sort of traditional TV upfronts. Do you want to explain what goes into an upfront? Oh, sure. It's just a, it's the time of the year uh, if for those who are unexposed to that particular uh, yeah. ecosystem when those who sell advertising in media come to the media buying community and essentially present their wares or opportunities. It's a longstanding tradition, and um, it's the part of the market where buys are made in advance you were gonna uh, of show, the coming year. Here's what we've got. You know some of our shows. They're coming back. Here's some new shows you haven't seen before. Here are clips of them. Here's some talent. Here's yeah. some alcohol. Here's some food. Yeah, but most importantly, it really is a chance for the media buying community to uh, make determinations, and it's a market. It's just a, it is a market about what they want to lock in for the coming 12-month period, essentially. And so those prices get established, and at least the history of television advertising is that that's where the substantial amount of commerce occurs. And then there's what's called the scatter market for those who are not familiar with it, and that market is a sort of day-by-day or moment-by-moment market that goes along with the upfront that has established the bulk of generally the bulk of commerce for traditional TV networks. Now, the entire world is changing, but you do have the the sort of nomenclature right and the feeling right. So uh, we're privileged last night at our upfront, which was a smaller venue, to have Jody Comer and to have Sandra Oh and to have Fiona Shaw from Killing Eve, to have Coleman Domingo from For the Walking Dead, to have a, a whole bunch of people from our We TV shows to have Seth Meyers from Documentary Now. So yeah. um, so they get to meet talent, and they get to sort of a feeling of texture about what the shows are. They know them, but it does give them an opportunity to 
really understand better what we're doing. And this is a high-stakes thing for you, right? Because you're going to determine to some degree how much revenue you're going to have for the coming year over st- kicking off sort of last night. Then you'll have a negotiation with the buyers yeah. over the next couple yeah. of months. And that's in, lo- in large part is going to sort of determine what your year is. Yeah, it has a very significant effect. Not the only effect, but it, it establishes to some degree price yeah. uh, and it to some degree establishes volume. And very happily, uh, uh, notwithstanding your earlier comments about uh, some of the issues surrounding television, yeah. um, our pricing has been going up very strongly as as television advertising is actually increasingly more precious. And I don't mean to pitch our book, but Go ahead, pitch. it's quite so that uh, dramas, immersive dramas on television, if you're an advertiser— are increasingly challenging to find. I really mean this. It, it is part of our what we say that is appealing about us, our so-called pitch. It's also quite true, which is if you want to advertise in Game of Thrones, you can't. If right. you want to advertise in Billions, you can't. If you want to advertise in Outlander, you can't. Mrs. Or a Mesa, Netflix you show. can't. Uh, or uh, the Kaminsky method, you can't. Right. So there are really two, I think, places uh, on television that would be known to have quality dramas and comedies where you can advertise uh, AMC and FX or the AMC networks and FX, I should say. And so it's not lost on the smart people who are buying media, who are selling their products, that that type of experience tends to move products because people are paying an awful lot of attention when they're watching. This is a very persuasive pitch. If I was buying advertising, I would I would buy ads. Well, right? it really, you know, having be, I am someone who yeah. buys advertising. Yeah. And so you don't do it casually. You do it carefully. You do it with all the data available to you, and you watch what your sales are. You're not sitting around just making random judgments. You have to move product off the shelf or subscriptions or financial services or people into fast food establishments so you know what works over time and your job is dependent upon that. And television is a very important piece of that. And immersive drama and comedies are truly increasingly hard to find because of the uh, proliferation of non-commercial streaming services. Make make the case for the idea of the upfronts period, because every year there's a discussion like, this seems like a really anachronistic way to sell advertising. This is all based on a fall TV schedule when TV really should be a, a, a 12-month-a-year thing. Um, and, the you know, on top of that, you're showing off stuff that a lot of these shows are never, you know, will only be on air for a few months. This seems like we should get rid of this process. It's very expensive. you got to fly the talent in. you yeah. got to rent out stuff. Yeah. But we keep having it. And, in fact, the, and the digital companies are all doing them now. Yeah. You know, I think that to my evaluation, um, markets work – in different ways for multiple reasons. The way people trade anything, and I'm not an economist, but the way people trade anything has to do with the clarity, specificity, and if you will, perfection of pricing and markets. And it also has to do with other conditions, how much time you can spend, whether you want to lock in prices, um, whether you want to lock in partial prices, how much of your market dynamic you want to be volatile versus fixed. So all of those influences go into the sale of advertising. Uh, In all markets, which as you said, so-called digital companies are doing upfront Yeah, I got my invitation to the Hulu one, the YouTube one. Yeah, but your point is well taken, I think. And uh, I think the reason conjecture is fairly frequently raised around why upfronts, if there's a better way to do it, is a very fair and good question. And if I may, is something that we have a fair amount of focus on and interest in, in the broader sense. And it is because the systems surrounding the calculation and so-called counting of television eyeballs, and then advertising is imperfect. It is based on samples, and it is based on projections of samples. It's not based on true granular individual data. Yeah, it's a projection. But the, the thing that's meaningful for us, if I may, which I think is an important notion about the future health of AMC networks, is that we have a lot of viewing consumption, people spending the time watching it that is not adequately monetized because the system surrounding it is somewhat anachronistic. Now, there's new systems being set up that, to say it in the most simple terms, 
count more effectively. They count more properly. And they allow the advertising to be placed with greater proximity and with greater specificity, meaning there are now ads going out on cable television not to quote everyone, but to people whose car leases are expiring and who may be interested in cars, so-called addressable advertising. All of that is something that the digital companies, in fact, came by by birth. It was native to the manner in which they inhabited the globe yep. and was not native to those who began their television enterprise through distribution medium or media uh, some time ago. That will catch up. When that catches up, the pricing or the CPMs will escalate for television. Oh, you think better measurement increases your pricing on TV because in digital, it's a race to the bottom. In, in digital where we have a very good sense of who's watching, who's consuming something, I, I can look on Chartbeat right now and tell you how many seconds the average person has spent on, on my story and it push and pricing. The better we get at counting, the lower pricing goes. The, the better counting television gets, the higher pricing goes. The more addressable the ad is, the higher the pricing will go because there is today – some degree of waste in your buy. Yep. And you're mindful that there's some degree of waste in your buy. So you're calculating that into your price. This is this is the ad tech pitch on the digital side too. Oh no, we're gonna find inefficiencies and it turns out that you had more eyeballs there and also we we we, we can track conversions and all of that. But the price keeps going down, 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 down. But television price keeps going up, up, up because each year over year and and particularly with the shows that are commanding, because the experience of being deeply, deeply engaged in something is, for an advertiser, very important and very hard to find. It simply works better than having something adjacent on a screen that your eye may wander to or not. And so uh, it has its own place in life. But I really do believe that the experience of immersive television it has already been increasing, even with its historical, if you will, imperfections. And I think the pricing will increase as those imperfections are overcome. And more specificity, addressability uh, allows you to buy more with, with greater effectiveness and efficiency. So this is an immersive <clears throat> medium. It is ad-supported. And that's why we're going to take a very quick break right now. Yeah, sure. We'll be right back. Oh, of course. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I'm back here with Josh Sapan, who is offering uh, book advice to Gold. You should give it to all of us. What is what was the book you're going to recommend to producer Gold? I have to look Gold? it up, okay. so we'll hold off. We'll add that to the text later. We were just walking, talking about ads. Um, I'm assuming that for a bunch of different reasons, some of which we will discuss, um, your business, the focus on ads has changed for you over time, that... that um, Maybe they're less important to you than other forms of revenue, or you're adding new revenue streams in part to like supplement advertising. Yeah. Is so that fair? I think it's fair to say that we have been diversifying yeah. our overall business. Uh, so we separated just a little historical map. AMC Network separated from Cablevision some eight years ago, and we've been trading. Cablevision is the smallish, or used to be the smallish New York-based cable provider. That's now exactly it's part of the right. LTS. Thank you very much. Yep. And so we've been publicly traded under the, our own name yep. for uh, eight years. And during that period of time, we mindfully went out to diversify our business. We mindfully went out to become 
what probably was fairly described as a group of cable TV channels to become, over time, a content company that, in polite word, exploits its content in a number of different media and finds value in different geographies and in different platforms. So that's been a very important initiative for a company. So today, uh, to your point, advertising represents perhaps somewhere around 25% or so of our overall revenue, our what is commonly referred to as studio business, which is our ownership of shows. Making the shows that you run and I guess in theory could run somewhere uh, on someone else's network, but well, primarily we, you're making stuff for your own consumption. We make them for our own consumption and then we sell exactly. ancillary or sequential rights or subsequent rights or different geographical rights. To the rights Netflixes of the world. To Amazon in yep. a foreign territory that we don't operate a cable channel in. And that's become perhaps... Uh, 15 or so plus percent round numbers of our business. So we've become a studio, to use that word. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean we have a commissary. It simply means yep. that we manufacture and own material. Um, and we have distribution revenues, and then we have licensing and merchandising revenues. So, yes, we've actually significantly diversified the nature of our revenue. How does the fact that when you're thinking mm -hmm. about making a show and putting a show on air, the fact that you also are now thinking that you are going to sell that show to an Amazon or Netflix or somewhere um, somewhere outside of the U.S., how does that affect sort of what you might purchase and, then, and, and also how long you might air it? Um, I have this notion in my head that you guys and other networks are keeping stuff on longer when, uh, I don't know, five, six years ago, you might have pulled it because the ratings weren't great, but you're thinking this is going to have value when we sell it somewhere else. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fair point. So we, first and foremost, have a vigilant creative screen because we do have, have believed from early on and continue to believe that there would be many new entrants moving into television, which there have, many more opportunities for people to find what they want and to stand out and to be distinguished. You're going to have to be not okay, not good, but great to whatever group of people I've got finds to opt you. in to watch this. Great. I choose You've to watch You've got to really yeah. make your way to go I'm find not it. flipping through the dial. You're not. It. And so, you know, I, I will say it's so important. You mentioned Killing Eve and thank you for doing that. But because I think there are a number of entities that are sort of pressing the green light button with great speed today. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're moving to do very high volume uh, because it suits their business this is the main, model. This is the main conventional TV criticism of Netflix and then other guys. But yeah, Netflix, it's, it's not, not a, mostly aimed at Netflix. I would they have, call it an observation, they're making not too much stuff. No, I would just call it an observation. Okay. So I don't think that we would find our way to Killing Eve if we were pressing a button that said uh, a show about a female assassin and a uh, so-called cop in pursuit of one another is necessarily going to be the winning formula that will rule the world. It was in the nuance of the script that made Killing Eve Killing Eve. Similarly, I think Better Call Saul uh, would not have been, we wouldn't have made it just so-called for the money. Now, we're mindful of ROIs. Of course, we're in business. But first screen is creative. Will it be a great show Will it tell a great story? Okay. Will the characters live in your skull in a way that you actually is it compelling? Adore? And then, and is it compelling? But mm -hmm. I, what I was asking about was something that might have modest ratings. Yeah, that you're more likely to keep it on air because you want to be able to have multiple seasons to sell in a couple of years. Is that is that is that a fair way to characterize I how your business has changed? I think the answer is by degree, yes. Uh, and it is because where I mentioned the multiple. Yeah manner means of exploitation, if we're getting money from subsequent sales in the U.S. and from foreign sales and other means of distribution, then the economic return of that show has different genetics. And the immediate rating used perhaps was paramount earlier, and it's now a piece of what we Got do. It. Yeah. So I've mentioned Netflix several times. I don't think you've mentioned them by name, but you work with Netflix. Um, yeah. Um, the, the Netflix narrative in the olden days used to be they have got a bunch of junk. Um, and then for a while it was they're helping uh, people. And you guys were often the mm -hmm. prime example. They built, they helped build an audience for shows like Mad Men because people who didn't see it when it aired have sent, been watching it, been binging on it for seasons. And now they're watching it live. And now the conventional wisdom from the TV guys is Netflix is a mortal threat and we need to muster all the defenses we have and, and or offense and take them on. Has your view of Netflix changed over the years? You know, I, I think that those 
that that rolling sequence is could fairly to be described as common wisdom uh-huh. uh, for for okay reasons. I think it is, however, not quite as uh, clear in the we're here sequence to talk about it. of the pieces as those chapters might describe. If you look at the history of uh, the United States of America, you can say there was this, and then there was this, and then there was that. Uh, but if you're living through it in real time, uh, th- the revolution and the Civil War are indeed central events, as is World War II. But if you live through the 1950s and 60s and 70s Some stuff and 80s, some things occur in a slightly more evolutionary manner. So I think if I may, if you'll indulge that analogy, I think that the material influences it an awful lot. Certain shows benefit from very wide exposure on an SVOD platform and subsequent sequence, and you see ratings bumps. Uh, we just saw it on Killing Eve uh, when something returns to linear. I think other shows might be, if they're less important, they might see a sort of decline because of their availability and lack of urgency. So the the sort of chemistry or the recipe has more than one ingredient and one variable. And I think those all go into the mix. Does that change your thinking about how you decide to license an individual show? Like this thing, I think if we sell it to Netflix, we're probably not going to see, it's probably not going to help our business beyond whatever check Netflix gives us. Um, Show two, show Better Call Saul, this is going to help us. Yeah, you know, I think it, it does influence our thinking it we're in happily in charge of that choice, and we make decisions selectively about whether we think it will aid us or whether it will work against us. And of course, because we're in business where there is the best return. And just the one last thing, which I just find personally rather curious, which is there has, of course, been a huge increase in people watching. And I'll use the word on-demand very Uh broadly. It could be cable on-demand. It could be purchasing via iTunes or another transactional platform or watching on a subscription video on-demand service. There's also an interesting increase, I think, in appetite for people viewing together because it's become a less common experience. You see it to some degree, of course, in sports and news, um, but it also occurs around natural history. So when we put on... Uh, material like Planet Earth, Blue Planet 2, dynasties from the BBC, we see this phenomenon of people and their families wanting to watch together. It's a curious phenomenon. And so uh, BBC America in the not-too-distant future will have a micro-net, if you want to call it that, of natural history programming on weekends so that people can experience it with the television on all the time. And we'll see how that initiative goes, but my instinct is that it will be very welcome. So even though this is stuff that presumably lives on multiple on-demand platforms, you think, and by the way, isn't it, you're not the, I mean, they've had marathons of stuff for yeah, a very long of course. time. That's a standard stuff. Yeah. But you think in particular that programming will attract an audience. I, I do. could find it somewhere else, but since it's there, they're going to watch it together. Yeah, you know, another, this is a, a minor anecdote. Yeah. I say it only to sort of illustrate the point, if you don't mind, which is uh, this Christmas time we did something called Best Christmas Ever, in which there was basically just a linear schedule of Christmas-oriented movies, and our ratings doubled or tripled versus prime average, and people were flipping on the television set mm-hmm. and keeping Christmas movies on. I don't know if they were avoiding relatives yeah. uh, that they were hostage with inside of a cold Probably. environment, or they wanted the Christmas spirit to live deeply inside themselves. But there are, there, there are multiple things occurring, not to say that on-demand and subscription video on-demand are not very appealing mousetraps. We're in that business ourselves. So my personal anecdote that runs counter to that is I've watched three seasons of Better Call Saul. Love the show. Had Michael McKean on. He's great. Uh, Fourth season concluded a little while ago. And I mostly intentionally did not watch it because I said, you know what? I'm behind. I have other stuff to do. I'm going to watch it when it's on Netflix and it will be ad-free and I won't have to worry about whether it's on my DVR or whether the on-demand thing I'm watching it allows me to fast-forward, any of that, and I'll just wait for Netflix to tell me when I can watch it. Sure. And that seems like less good for you. Yeah, that that would be less good. I just put, uh, and, and I, I don't do this, this is my personal life. I uh-huh. just put, I'll compliment FX. I just uh, recorded the first two episodes 
of uh, Verdon Fossey. Do I have it right or Fossey Verdon? The I FX think it's Fossey Verdon, yeah, yeah. Fossey Verdon or Verdon Fossey. Uh, and it's on my DVR because I like to organize my own personal viewing via DVR, and I'm immensely curious. Now, by the way, because I have the wherewithal, I backed it up by purchasing it on iTunes and you, also you, putting you, it— You are a big Bob Fosse fan. Well, I'm it. very curious. I'm curious about the subject. I want to see how it was rendered, and uh, so I'm anxious to see it. So it's on my iPad, and it's on my DVR, okay. and I don't feel like waiting. By the way, it's not our show. It yes. really is on my iPad. It really is on I my DVR, you. and I'm quite anxious Fosse to see it. Fosse is very on brand for you, from, well, I'm from what curious I know about of you. It, yeah. Um, it also makes me really want to go back and watch all that jazz again, which I haven't seen in a long yeah, time. Yeah, I also, of course, by talk about podcasts, I was provoked by listening to a podcast with um, Who the was participants, it? Verdon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I have some other personal connection to it, believe it or not, through uh, someone that I know who's a dancer. So I have excessive interest, but it's not the only time that I engage in that behavior, and sometimes I'll wait but, for something on so Netflix. To broaden it out, right, uh, as you well know, you, this is the year where Disney has said, well, Disney said it last year, a couple years ago, we're going to stop selling stuff to Netflix, yeah. and we're going to make our own version of Netflix. They don't call it that, but that's the premise. Time Warner slash AT&T is doing a version of this. Um, and again, they're not explicitly saying they're pulling stuff from Netflix in some cases, but they are. Other folks are having this debate about whether they arm essentially their competitors or not. I assume you guys are talking about this internally all the time. Sure. Do we sell our stuff to someone else who's eventually going to road our business, or is it still worth our while to keep doing this? Absolutely. Sounds like it's still worth your while to keep doing it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and those are all valid uh, conversations and valid conclusions for any one entity. And, and, and I really mean, I, forgive me if I'm trying to put this in a larger perspective, but I do, in the sort of historical media plot, if you don't mind, when cable TV came into being, the broadcast networks chose either to join it or they said their molecular ratings, I don't need to bother yeah. with a cable channel. Uh, different companies chose to enter the 24-hour news business. Some didn't. They saw it as incidental, whether they had incumbency. Yes, there was a time videos. when 24-hour news was not a thing. It was not a thing. And then there was a time when broadcast networks were seen as uh, beleaguered and uh, completely bereft. And now that's not true uh, as a consequence of a number of factors. And we're seeing an evolution now in subscription video on demand, particularly and for very good reasons. And so we have set up four-plus of our own subscription video-on-demand yeah. services, and we're now in that business. And we can select and make a choice about whether to take our original shows and put them on those services or not. We can choose to put them on those services first or second. We can choose to share them. Uh, and I think over time, we'll find ourselves excuse the expression, running multiple playbooks. And we'll find out what happens when we run various different playbooks. That is not to invalidate or question the plot of any of the companies uh -huh. who have said, no, I'm going to do it this way only. I was going to ask you about this later, but you <clears throat> provided a segue. You do have your own SVOD services. You are selling your own stuff direct to consumers. This is what everyone, many people say they want to do. you have done it, and for whatever reason, haven't generated that much attention from people like me, at least. But you've been doing it. The one I can name off the top of my head is Shudder, mm -hmm. right? I want to make sure I got it right. Yes, you did. That's horror films. There's three others. Yeah. So uh, you may not be a fan of British mysteries. You don't look like you are. Uh, and I find so, that judgmental, but, <laughs> but it's correct. It was actually done on pure demographic mm -hmm. basis. It tends to skew a little it's bit older. Yeah. It tends to skew a little bit older. So you didn't seem like you were in yeah. the right demo I understand. Uh, because I'm familiar with the demographics. And so I made that harsh, mm -hmm. cruel judgment. Yes. And um, so it tends to skew older. And it, it, that uh, we purchased that business last year. We're in partnership where we own 80-plus percent of it with Bob Johnson, and it's growing extremely well. It's called Acorn. Right. And along with that came, I think, a brilliant service called Urban Movie Channel, or UMC, that is the first dedicated service to urban audiences uh -huh. in the U.S. and then worldwide that is free to really try and connect the creative community with people. That's the ambition, and it, too, is growing. And then we have another one called Sundance Now, which is yeah. trading in, I think, thoughtful documentaries and um, some interesting 
crime dramas, but not salacious crime dramas, ones that are really about what is the human condition. And uh, and they're all going well and they're all growing. So you've been running these uh, – I have Disney on the brain right now just because sure, they're, they're, they're going to announce their, their yeah, thing tomorrow as we're recording this. Um, but so everyone is wondering how the, the TV guys are going to do. It's selling stuff direct to consumers yeah. over the internet. You're doing it. You're in it. What What have you learned? What did you get right? What did you have sure. to go back on the drawing board? Yeah. For? So I, you know, I think a few things. We've been now at it for four to five years, so it's not new to us. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we got in on the earlier side, but we determined that we wanted to get in for a series of reasons with more dedicated, highly specific audiences as opposed to general interest entertainment. You audiences. like horror films? You should subscribe to Shutter. It is the one. It's the one and one and one, and if you look at the ratings, people love it. They stand up and applause. They think it's the thing that speaks to them, the coolest thing in town, if you like that. And we think— Have you guys put out numbers for those? We have not. So there is—because there is resilience and predictability and less churn if you have someone who's enthusiastic truly Mm -hmm. about a genre. It's very meaningful because— Otherwise, you tend to be subject just to get to one piece of it. The answers are what matter are churn rates, disconnect rates, the tech stack and getting the tech stack right so your interface is seamless on multiple devices, Um, your cost per acquisition or how you sell, and you can engage in uh, and have available all sorts of metrics that are not standard to historical television rendered through a remote distributor, if you want mm-hmm. to call it that. Um, and then, of course, content, which is similar, but once again, you have much more data available. So that is a bit of new muscles, and now we've gotten some of those muscles by uh, training ourselves and by borrowing and recruiting, of, if of, you will. Of those four things you listed, what was the most difficult thing for you as a old-school linear programmer slash cable network to figure out? Yeah, you know, the the real answer is going to be the less yeah. least simplest. It really is the confluence of the four and where the leverage points the are. The content you knew about. We were right? pretty familiar with content. The tech stack, admittedly, for someone like me, was new to understanding because we did build it ourselves. And so we built it once and then built it a second time. It does time. seem like it's something you can go out and either find smart people and they can make this thing for you or you can buy it. It seems like... That's less challenging than maybe people thought. It, it, you know, it is. The only thing I might offer, and I say this as a non-engineer, is that the the interplay of the tech with what's commonly referred to as product or consumer experience yeah. is really profound. And I'll say it just anecdotally, which is if you press the button and love it and are delighted – it matters a lot. If you press the button and are either, and even momentarily frustrated right. and you're asked to resubmit credentials or you time out or your credit card is expired or something else happens, it is not a happy day. Not a happy day. And you're, if you're going to be buying, you're probably not going to be buying. Right. right? So the credit card goes back on the wall. So if there's any one piece of it that for me was eye-opening, it was that the tech— the product experience, the interface, and the complete nuance of whether it was spectacular, good, okay, or subpar could almost be called equivalent to a script that's predictable and average versus one that's spectacular and unpredictable. I think it matters profoundly. Um, and then the customer acquisition. I mean, anyone who's selling stuff sort of has a sense of how that's important. I assume you guys yeah. knew it was important. And then, and then, what is the experience mm-hmm. like of selling this stuff directly to consumers and getting sort of real time feedback and really granular information on what they're consuming versus what you've been doing all your life up until now, which is putting it out and getting maybe a best a guess about how many people are watching something or enjoying it. It's profound. It's really profound because if you take advantage of all that data. And all those responses, you have insights that are, frankly, they're deeper and richer and broader than that which is available through 
uh, old ways of How does that square, television. though, for someone like you who has been successful at this, who has a gut and has taste and you have a sensibility, right? We are just talking about your love of Fosse. Verdon, if, if I watch your networks, that sort of seeps through, right? You hire really good programmers to put that stuff there, but it reflects your taste and stuff to some degree. As you're getting data points back that say, you know, X percent of Shutter users like this, and maybe you find that stuff repellent or you just don't like it or whatever it is, how do you square sort of what the data tells you versus what your gut or brain or yeah, well, I think I would answer that, that I can answer quickly, which is the data will provide the best guideposts there absolutely are, and one's judgment uh, I think needs to submit ultimately to yeah. what the data tells you, which is not to say it's not doesn't have a seat at the table, and I work with people whose instincts and wherewithal is are spectacular. And so they are a factor in what we do. But denying the data is a silly exercise, but also extinguishing judgment and so-called notes on scripts and participation yeah. in making a story great is also, there's no point in not doing that. It can be something that contributes significantly to a better TV so show. So if we flip that around, right? So we're in conventional TV where you still are just guessing at what people will like. Well, there's a fair amount of data. That there's a fair amount of data, but ultimately. you're still guessing, right? Yeah. So I mentioned McMafia. Yeah. I like that show. I told someone else on Twitter about that show. So that's two people who watched it. <laughs> From what I can tell, it's a pretty small audience for a significant percentage of that show. I think it was very successful in the I UK. I can introduce you to some people who also were big fans okay. of McMafia. We can all fit in one room. And you could have a support group, yeah. yeah. So is that something where had you had a better sense and better data that you actually don't go forward with that show? Or do you go, no, no, we still have to gamble on stuff like this, and, and even if we get it wrong, it's still a worthwhile, or, 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 or we're getting to a place where you're going to extinguish the McMafias of the world because you're just going to get better data and you'll know there's no way we're putting that out. No, I don't think that you can be either enlightened or reductive to the point where you make final decisions because you really will, one will eliminate the possibility of surprise and... Um, and touching people with great stories and characters. So I don't think that if you allow yourself to, for data to become uh, all-encompassing and singular and monolithic, that you'll end up in a good place. And I think, so I think it should be applied appropriately. By the way, I think its application is probably first and foremost to marketing uh, as opposed to content development, because I think in marketing when it relates to cost per acquisition. Let's or figure churn. out where this audience for this thing yeah, is. Yeah, you can market and figure just out how to so do so much effectively. better efficiency. So it's irresistible. But I think on the creative side, I don't think there's any yet algorithm that can tell you whether the story development or the character that's being shaped uh, like the menacing dude in McMafia who is just heartless yeah. and like to kill everybody or the old guy who is trying to sort of get redemption for his son, uh, you're probably not going to data your way into figuring out whether those characters are going to be appealing to that you was, and That others. was part of the pitch when Netflix first got into this. They were kind of back, we went back and forth on, on, on how they were going to use data or not. to. And and since then, they've been quite clear. saying, no, no, you make whatever you want. Right. And then we'll tell you if it worked or not, and we'll order more. And, and that will affect our buying. But but you, the artist, go ahead and make it. I still think there's a desire for some people to say, if we could just figure out that this script and this idea and this character and this actor, if we put them together, we will have an audience of X or Y. I just don't think we're, we're going to get that for a very long time, if you ever. Know, to my mind, that is akin to emulating the behavior of someone you admire or like and think you'll be them yeah. if you imitate their behavior. Well, that explains many, many assholes in Silicon Valley saying they <laughs> work for Steve Jobs. Um, I don't want to let us go before we yes. talk about the tech guys getting into your business. We yeah. mentioned Netflix. Yeah. Again, this is the year yeah. where Apple is doing something still confusing. Amazon is taking sort of a second stab at this. Um, I guess it's really the two big guys, right? So one thing I know is that Netflix and Amazon and Apple have made it much more difficult for you to do your job because they're bidding up the price of talent. How else are they affecting what you do day to day and, and then more broadly strategically? Yeah, you know, I, I just may, if I may, I'll sort of take not quite exception, but maybe yeah. just slightly refined definition to uh, bidding up cost of talent. Um, we are not filling a Walmart with TV shows. 
we, we are selectively programming for AMC, for IFC, for BBC America, for Sundance TV, for mm-hmm. WeTV. We're selectively doing that. And so we really don't have huge aisles to fill. We have selective content to make, and we have a development process that we take very seriously and do with great care. And so there may be the occasional packaged show that so-called comes to market that gets bid up, but our development process yields, I'd like to think, wonderful material that we work on and with. So the common wisdom that the market's been bid up as if there's a paucity of material in sports rights. There's one uh, NFL, and if you don't get it, you got to pay more. If you want yep. these rights, you got to pay more. Well, it, it, some people are completely come from nowhere to do spectacular work. Some have projects that others are not buying because they don't see the wisdom or wit or beauty in them. And so while there is that element occurring, it is not sort of a simple game of limited— I get that you, you guys, are, again, make cool stuff and you do less of it um, mm-hmm. and you probably have a better hit rate. But I'm sure that you are often in a room with a Sandra O oh or a Phoebe Waller-Bridge, name the talent, um, and you would like them to work with you. And they are also either explicitly or at least in the back of their head thinking, I bet I can get a lot more money out of Netflix. You know, I think, and again, I don't, I think, sure, there's some degree of that sometimes. I think we're also, if I, and I think it's true, starting to see some of a phenomenon in which some of the creative people think that their project may get slightly lost. This is part of the, this is what the TV guys like you say about the it's Netflix. It's true because if we do have limited shelves and if we have limited uh, street front mm-hmm. shop window and we make something heroic, it's really heroic. And we are far from indifferent about its success, and I think that both by virtue of our the number of things that we do and the manner in which our business operates— You were going to market it. You are going to showcase it. You are really yeah, going to push it. I think it's it. a different shot, to tell you the I mean, truth. It is I astonishing really that Chris Rock had a comedy special on Netflix last year, and I watched it, and I never heard anyone say a thing about it. Right, and, and I'm not knocking anything. Yeah, it's just different models yeah. that occur differently, and they have different—over time, they have very different consequences. So any— thing that's true for a period of time is only true for that period of time. So I imagine your pitch is something like, sure, you could go to McDonald's or Walmart or wherever, but we have this cool bistro. It's in Brooklyn. It's in a harder-to-get part of Brooklyn. It's cool. You're going to like it there. We're going to take really good care of you, and you should come work with us. You should come eat at our bistro. Well, you know, we we have a history to point to of what we've done and the way those things have worked. And Killing Eve is just an interesting example. It was on a channel called BBC America, which is not the biggest cable TV channel in America, and it's not Netflix or Amazon. And so I would ask rhetorically, how did it become, uh, if not the show of the moment, certainly a show of the moment, maybe the show of this moment uh, on BBC America? And the answer is... Not accidentally, because of its quality, because of the writing yep. of Phoebe Walbridge, because the actors, and because of the manner in which we brought it to market. And then there's a similar sort of size scale question just about your business period, which is we just republished this chart. It's our media landscape. It says everyone's size by market cap. It right. looks like a constellation of the universe. Uh, people really like this chart. Yeah, You guys are on there. You're very small compared to the the behemoths. The Disney Fox thing just got much bigger than it did last year. And so the inevitable question is, for all the little dots, mm-hmm. the assumption is they're going to have to be consumed. They're going to be bought by someone somewhere. Yeah. Um, how often are you talking about whether or not someone's – it makes sense to sell the company? I, I get that you're running a public company. You're yeah. very constrained about what you can actually talk about in regards yeah. to M&A. But uh, I'm sure it's sure. top of mind all the time. You know, yeah, you know yes and no, it's um – you know, we're a uh, three-plus billion dollar company, mm-hmm. which relatively has become smaller in your yes. in your chart. Uh, but that's its I would like size. to work at a three billion dollar. Well, plus it's just is that's the size of it. Yeah. So, so we have a couple of thousand employees, three billion. Uh, you know, your numbers are public. Last year, we had half a billion dollars of free cash flow. So I think we have adequate resources to do what we do, and we've been growing and expanding it now for many years. Uh, in a, in a row. And I don't want to say something radical just for the sake of it, but there have been acquisitions in the media world in the past that have not necessarily 
worked out perfectly. There's been some misalignment sure. and some expectations that have been perfect. So there's a, certainly a rush to, uh, in some cases, for companies to bulk up. bulk up with some clear and I think some less clear notions of what the absolute benefits will be. Yeah, I guess the counter is that there actually hasn't been this bulking up. We After the Time Warner deal got cleared uh, by the Supreme Court last year, we all— Many of us, including me, said, oh, this is it. Everyone's going to get bought. All the buying is going to happen. It's a year plus later. It hasn't happened. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, I, I would ask it rhetorically unless you want to answer, do you think that, and this is not meant to be defensive. Uh, it's a subject that, of course, crosses our minds. Yeah. We do think we've operated successfully now for some fairly long period of time. We've asked ourselves and been asked questions about consolidation that occurred in the last 10 years on the, distrib the cable distribution side of the world, yep. whether that would be threatening. It turned out to be very beneficial to us because we were selling to companies that had more smarts, wherewithal, and The fact that Comcast and Charter bought everyone turned out to be fine for you. It turned out to be excellent for us. Uh, I think our business, if you look at the numbers, our, our distribution actually increased, our distribution revenue increased, and we prospered in a regime in which at least the, the, the immediate skeptical response was it will not be good for you. So uh, I, I think some trends when they're in the moment don't turn out exactly as people think the story will be written. Sometimes they do, but uh, they're not all linear. I think this is a recurring theme in this discussion. It's good. I'm going to go back and, and, and see how many times we talked. Well, you said your, your, your plot or your summary of the plot is incorrect. I think a bunch. I hope I didn't good. say it too many times. No, it's good. It's, I, like, I like pushback. I liked having you on. I would like to do this at a longer length, but there's people oh, out there. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Take the studio back from us. Thank you for coming on, Thanks Josh. so much for having me. It's great to have you. It was a pleasure. Thanks to you guys for listening. Recode Media is produced by Gold Arthur. Joel Robbie edits the show. He does an awesome job. Thanks to our sponsors who bring you this show for free. If you like this episode, tell someone else about it. If you really liked it, leave us a review on Apple Podcast or somewhere else that delivers podcasts to you. Thanks again for listening. We will be back probably in a couple of days. 